Good morning. I almost didn't make it here either, Jim. <laughs> it wasn't because I couldn't tie, you know, I can't tie my shoes, so I wear loafers. You might consider that. It uh, wasn't my fingers. It was, I don't know, maybe my heart. I just, I can't take much more of this. Everything seems to be collapsing. Everything I just sort of thought, I mean, I knew we were on a, a downward slide, but suddenly it's not a slide, we're off a cliff and we're just falling. And what do you say in the midst of that? So you can feed a bird. Was the bird's name Henry? Can we call him Hank? No. Okay. <laughs> so, <you> know, <laughs> so I don't want to burst your bubble about Henry, but Birds aren't real. <laughs> All right, anyone else join in that conspiracy thinking? Yeah. I've got the birds aren't real t-shirt if you're not clear what I'm talking about. There's a new conspiracy theory that says in 1985, the US government captured and killed all the birds, uh, I guess on the planet, and replaced them with bird-shaped drones who are watching your every move based on basic you know, statistics from other conspiracy theories, there are hundreds of millions of Americans who think that's true. And if you went out and said, but what about Henry? They would, Tucker Carlson would just take you apart on Fox News, right? There's no, I'm looking for refuge and I can't find anything. So I thought, well, maybe I should just call in sick and not, not have to stand up here and try to say something meaningful. And I don't know if I'm going to say anything meaningful, but I want to start with Austin playing uh, something that he's going to play later officially. This is an unofficial bit of music that I asked him to play. This is the last thing we do on the way out. So go ahead. So you can look it up in the program. No, go ahead. Yeah, why don't you sing it then? I wasn't. It's the as we leave this friendly place. Yeah. It's no. It's in the back of the bottom of the pro the printed program. Part of that that interested me is about the face. So let me talk about that. I went to see my grandson. Uh, I mean, he just lives three miles away, but I went to see him this week. Um, his mom was teaching at uh, Vol State, and his dad had some meeting, and so I had to be there at his house when he came home from camp. So he comes home, and we're playing in his bedroom. And I see that he has two photographs of his baby brother. 
my daughter-in-law is pregnant. She's giving birth sometime in September. And she has these sonogram photographs. And Jack, my grandson, wanted to hang him in his room so he could look at his brother. Now, <laughs> when my sister was, was on the way, um, my parents had to bribe me into thinking that was a good idea. <laughs> and every day, my sister, who hadn't even been born yet, was sending me presents. You know, so that you know, when she came, I would I would not have you know total disdain. I expected Jack to like be throwing things at the pictures, but no, he loves his little baby brother, and he's seen his face and he talks about the face. Look, he has my nose, he has my chin. And there, when I looked at the photographs, you can't, at least me personally, I couldn't help but respond with love to this face. This is not a talk about abortion. This is a, a talk about face. Because I'm having trouble feeling that love toward other faces. There's a philosopher, and, and I may have mentioned him here before, I'm sure I have, mid-20th century philosopher Emil um, Levinas. And Levinas had this idea that if you could see the face of another person, you would not love that person, that was too much to ask. But if you could see the face of the other person, you could do no harm to that person. And what he meant by see the face wasn't just see the structural face, you know, the nose and the eyes and the, the chin and all that. Because mostly we don't see a person's face, we see their mask, not, not the mask that we're wearing here because of COVID, but the mask that we put on their face Oh, that's a Republican face. That's a Democratic face. That's the face of a feminist. That's a face of, you know, an anti-feminist, a misogynist, you know, whatever it is. That's a face of someone who supports uh, women's reproductive rights. And that's a face of someone who's been fighting against it for 50 years and winning. That's not a mask they put on themselves. That's a mask I, anyway, put on them. And so I never see their face. I just see the mask that I, ask, that, I, that I force them to wear through my own projection. I place, and this is gonna be important in a second, I place that mask over their face. And then I react to the mask that I put there. I don't have to know the person. In fact, it's easier to do when you don't know the person. I read the New York Times today, and you know, they have all these photographs of people protesting or, or rejoicing over the Supreme Court decision. And if you don't know whose face is whose, they sort of look alike. Because, and I don't know if this is really true, but it looks like it, that extreme joy and extreme anger look the same. Everyone's like. <laughs> and because there's no audio, I can't tell if they're going, ah, or going, yeah. It just looks the same to me. But when I read the caption, and I see that this face is a face of someone who supports the decision, slap on that mask. And I see that this face is a face of someone who is pro-reproductive um, rights, then I want to see that face. But I even slap a mask on that one. I was, no, this is a good face, and that's a bad face. But they are sort of interchangeable. It's just my masks that 
that allow me to respond to them in one way or another. Levinas says, look at the face. It's not like maybe the face of, of my uh, soon-to-be second grandchild. Look at that face. You know, I, I have my hopes for him. He should be a Democrat. <laughs> you know, I used to think, they, oh, he should be Jewish. Now I think he should be a Democrat. <laughs> You know, I have my hopes and all that, but I, I don't yet have a way of putting a mask on his face. <coughs> so Levinas says, see the face. When we see the face of the other with a small O, we see the face of the other with a big O. Now Levinas takes this more metaphorically, but his colleague, though they didn't agree on a lot of things, Levinas is French and Martin Buber is German, and they're both Jewish, but they, like most Jews, disagreed on, on certain things. But when Buber talks about the face, Buber says you're actually seeing the face of God, the face of the other with a big O. Levinas says when you see the face of the other, you feel commanded by the very act of seeing to do no harm. Buber says, when you see the face of the other, you're actually seeing the face of the divine. And, and then, of course, you don't do any harm. You might even feel called to do something positive. Levinas is just on the negative. Don't harm. Buber is more do good. But they're both coming from this perspective of seeing the face. Buber will say, you can see the face of a tree, of a bird, of a fish of a rock, right? Because everything is a manifesting of the one thing that I'm going to call God tonight, today, but you could call it so many different names in different languages. But whatever this one thing is that manifests the universe, it has an infinite number of faces, sanctioned, non-sanctioned, if there's such a thing, transient, you know, whatever it is, all the things that you see, inanimate and animate, are faces of the divine. And when you see them, Without a mask, I mean, even if you look at a tree, you might just look at a tree and see firewood or paper or a table. But if you cannot see the utility of the thing, but see the tree in and of itself, you're seeing the face of God. And then you treat that, that being with utmost respect. At least that's the idea. And I'm having trouble doing it. I'm having trouble seeing people who are wandering around with guns on their hips. I'm trying, I, I don't even, all I see is their hip, <laughs> right? I don't even see their face. They scare me to death. I was driving the other day on Memorial and some devout um, Protestant uh, I know because the back of their car was basically one sticker after the other saying, I'm a devout Protestant, <laughs> you know. It had no anti-Catholic, Muslim, or Jewish stickers, but you could tell that they were Protestant. Driving along, I love Jesus throwing trash out the window of the car. I couldn't see that person's face, but it wouldn't matter even if I did. I only would have seen an evil Literer, <laughs> you know, a hypocrite. So I am having a lot of trouble with this. 
is there a way to get over my problem? Is there a way for me, anyway? I don't know if you're having this problem. But is there a way to get over seeing only the mask and seeing the actual face? That's the question I'm wrestling with. So in the Jewish tradition, there is a practice called shiviti. S-H-I-V-I-T-I. -I. Not that you're writing it down, but that's how it looks in your head. Shiviti. It means I place. And it comes from uh, Psalm, oh, I think it's 16. Maybe I wrote it down. I can tell you for sure, because if you're into Bible study, no. Uh, I thought it was Psalm 16. Well, I didn't write it down, so I don't know. But the Psalm line says, Shiviti Ladonai Lenegdi Tamid, or Shiviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid. Shiviti, I place. Adonai is God. Lenegdi, in front of me, Tamid always. And I used to have trouble with this idea, because I don't want, what do you mean, place? I want to see the face. But then I realized this mask thing. Maybe the, the first step is to actually replace the mask. Take away the mask that says, Literer, Republican, misogynist, fascist, you know, all of that. See if I can take away that mask and try another mask. And see if I can see God. First, maybe, maybe and, and I'm just making this up, I don't know. Maybe I see God sort of generically before I can see God uniquely as the being in front of me. Maybe that's necessary. Maybe I can't remove the mask and see the person for whom that person is. Maybe that's too hard for me. I don't, I don't know. So maybe it's, I have to have a little intermediate step where I remove the one mask and I say, okay, it's God. And I make a conscious effort to mentally place that mask on the other person. And if you don't like the word mask, you could say label. Okay, so I'm looking at God. I'm not looking at whenever my, my anxiety-producing masks are. I'm looking at God. Can I do that? And then maybe, if I can do that, then maybe I can look at the person for longer than two seconds and maybe begin to see that person for who um, they are. And if that's possible, then I'm still seeing God, but now I'm seeing God in the particular, which is way more important than seeing God in the generic. A lot of meditations where you can just sort of slip out of... Um, seeing the diversity of, of the universe and, and instead seeing sort of a homogenous divine energy. Not that that's bad, but I'm more interested at this moment, not in the abstract, but in the unique expression of divinity that I'm actually facing. Can I see that? And maybe placing God before me is, a, is an intermediate, intermediate step for doing that. So how do we do that? I looked in the Bible, because I look in the Bible all the time, and I found two conflicting things in the Bible. Ah, oh, shocking. <laughs> right? I mean, people write to me, how can the Bible say X and then not X in the same you know, book? It's because the Bible isn't written by the same person. The Bible isn't a book. The Bible's a library. 
and it's written by different people at different times, and then there's editors who smush them all together, and sometimes they can make it mesh, and sometimes they can't. So there are two things, probably more, uh, for certain more, but there are two stances the Bible seems to take, or God takes in the Bible, and of course God's just a character in the Bible, so whoever wrote the story wants God to say whatever they make God say. But there's two different stances. So in the one, in the book of Exodus, God says to Moses, Moses says, let me see your face. And God says, you can't see my face. Nobody can see my face and live. Nobody can see my face and live. Then later in uh, the book of Psalms, the psalmist has God say, seek my face. So which is it? I mean, if, if Exodus is right, no one can see my face and live, then the psalmist is saying, saying seek my face and die, right? <laughs> and, and I don't think that's what the psalmist is trying to say. I think we have two different approaches to this. So one of the things you get to do in Judaism is to play with these texts and, and make them, if you, if you feel like it, make them make sense together. When I found this, um, okay, Boy, I know it's in front of me, I just can't see it. But anyway, I know what it is. Oh, here it is. It says, this is how you should read those two verses. This is a quote. Seek my face in every face, and when you see my face as every face, you cannot live as you did before you saw my face. Before you saw my face, you felt free to have dominion over the other. But after you've seen my face, you can only engage the other with compassion and justice. All right, and that's going to read the, well, I'm going to read it again. Seek my, because it says, seek my face in, in one text, and you can't see his face, God's face in the other text. Seek my face in every face, and when you see my face as every face, you cannot live as, you, you cannot live as you did before you saw my face. Before you saw my face, you felt free to have dominion over the other, but after you've seen my face, you can only engage the other with compassion and justice. So we're called to seek the face in order to generate compassion and justice. That makes a lot of sense to me. Even if you don't believe in God, right? you don't have to take it literally. You're seeing the true essence of another being, and that triggers within you this, I don't know, I can't, I can't think of a good word. If I say compulsion, it, doesn't, it sounds negative. If I say command, it sounds like it's coming from the outside. But this internal command to treat the other with justice and compassion. So the Kabbalah, the Jewish mystical tradition, says to do this, you need to consciously place the face of God on the other's face until you can actually see it. Shiviti Adonai Lenegdi Tamid. I place the face of God before me always. I place God before me always. So this is how you do it. Now, the problem is the, the, the phrase itself is in Hebrew, and that's going to be a, so you're just going to have to make the wording your own in English. But the idea is before you engage with anybody, or anything, trees or you know, whatever. If we're talking people just 
for the time being. Before you engage with anybody, mentally say, I place the divine before me always. And know that what you're saying is, I'm, I'm placing the face of God before me, when I'm looking, you know, I'm seeing the face of God in order to go beyond my act of conscious placing and see your own true divine essence. Does that make sense, what I'm, what I'm asking, what I'm suggesting? So the wording is, is irrelevant. It's not magic. It's simply a trigger for a, a mental action. It takes a fraction of a second. Uh, it's not like I say, hold on, Austin. I am placing God. I mean, you know, you don't, you, hey, don't do it out loud. People will walk away. But it doesn't have to be that long. It can just be as you're approaching someone. I mean, I don't know if you walk around town, especially early in the morning, or you go to the library anytime during the day, there's homeless people, you know, out and, out and about. And if you can make a kind just to see them, I mean, maybe you do anyway. But so many of us just pass by and we don't want to see them. Because seeing them, according to Levinas, obligates us to do something. Now, sometimes you could say it's, it's donating, you know, giving them money, though I've never actually, none of the people around the library and I go there all the time have ever asked me for anything. But it does obligate you to do something to help the homeless, to do, to do something on their behalf. So a lot of us just don't want to look at it. And that's not even a criticism, it's just an observation. What I try to do, not always successfully, but what I try to do is I walk out of the library, I'm gonna go right by a bunch of, of people who are just living in the park there, and I'm, I mentally say to myself, because I do it in Hebrew, shiviti adonai negdi tamid. I wanna see the divine when I look at these people. It changes, potentially, your consciousness. This is the last piece. It changes your consciousness. Judaism says you have two, there's multiple levels of consciousness, but there are two primary ways that the mystics talk about consciousness. One is uh, <clears throat> narrow mind and one is spacious mind. Mochin de katnut, mochin de godly. So mostly we operate in that narrow mind. But when you're seeing God, the, act, the very act of seeing the divine shifts you from narrow to spacious and it makes your heart grow. It opens you up to compassion and act justice and all of those things. So you're making this, this conscious act of I'm seeing God when I see something else, someone else. And then that, which is a willed act of narrow mind, actually, because that's the ego. The ego is willing, I'm seeing the divine as this other person. That willed act triggers, somehow, the expansion of consciousness. Even though you start narrow, affirming, making that, that affirmation, I'm gonna see God in this person, changes your stance from narrow to spacious. And you can test that out for yourself. I, mean, I, I think it's true, my experience says it's true, but you can test that out for yourself. So, if we're going to bring any light into this ever-thickening darkness, I think one place to start is to see the divine in the other. And this is one way to do that. And we'll talk more about it in uh, 
talk back later. Thank you.